welcome listeners uh, on iTunes and, and YouTube. I'm your host, Everson. With me, we have Max and Patrick. And today we have more evergreen content. Uh, some of the topics that we want to talk about is the catalyst, uh, the Volcker rule, solvency. We'll probably get into uh, a lot of debt into the solvency area. And we wanted to talk about uh, the bubble. So with the Volcker rule, I don't know if we have very much uh, to talk about about the Volcker rule, but just to shine some light, um, you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about it, Max? Volcker rule? Yeah, sure. So this, this rule was sort of implemented um, right after the Great Recession, and its, its purpose was to sort of prevent for the for another recession to happen um and so the great recession happened because the banks were caught with their pants down you know they were playing they were gambling with all these these bad loans and so to prevent that from happening uh basically they had to have more in deposit to cover some of their potential losses and they couldn't trade with it um, but now that we're sort of going to be a little bit more lenient with this rule, and we might actually remove it or part of it, now it's going to bring back into the market about $40 billion, and it's going to actually accelerate how quickly money uh, moves around. Um, is this a good move right now? Well, the Fed can't reduce the interest rates unless they go to negative. And so this is another tool for them to try to speed up the velocity of money. That's sort of what uh, brings that GDP back. The faster loans, right. and now the mark, uh, the banks are actually going to be able to trade in the market with it. And I think Everson has a, a few more specifics on what they can't do in terms of dividends and buybacks, that kind of stuff. But I just wanted to talk about more money into uh, into the markets, more money moving around. The faster it moves, um, there's actually a, a, an equation that can show you that with one dollar you can c create seven dollars just by having it move uh, six times, I believe. So that's what that's going to do. It's going to accelerate uh, what the banks can do. And we'll see what that does. What I don't like is that this rule, even though m right now it might be a good option, it might be a good lever to use, uh, I know that once we don't need it, we won't shut it back down. We won't shut down that valve. And that's it's going to lead to a much bigger problem later on. Right. Did you have anything to add to the Volcker rule or any comments to make about it, Patrick? No, not really. That's not my area of expertise. Yeah. Well, it, it All is, I can say is, is that Max is right about uh, the Volcker rule, but in general, a lot of regulations was created with this CFPB, and a lot of it is deregulated, especially in the mortgage industry, and that's pretty huge. People have to keep that in mind. Yeah, so... Uh, the feds has also capped uh, dividends and like Max is saying, and then also banded uh, banks from being able to buy back stocks. So that, that kind of sets them up for success. And I, I like that, um, you know, feds didn't <clears throat> really trend down into the negative, like how we did with Alan Greenspan uh, way, way back when. So I, I think our position moving forward, um, you know, as far as the federal government is concerned, they're doing the best that they can. Um, next topic that I wanted to transition well, to. Well, uh, Everson, real quick, did yeah. you uh, did you want to talk a little bit about the dividend situation? Uh, with uh, the go banks? ahead. Go ahead if you you want to talk about it. Yeah, sure. So um, now that the market's moving a lot, uh, the banks don't need to to give out uh, a dividend. A dividend is an expense to them. 
And now right. that their stock is sexy enough because it's moving up and down, it's allowing right. you to make capital gains on it. They don't have to spend their own money to pay you a dividend. Uh, right. So I don't think that's going to be such a big deal. Later on, when things normalize, uh, they'll bring back that dividend. But right now, they don't need to spend money and give you that. Uh, so they're just going to use it for something else. So that's you know oh. what makes sense to me. Thanks for giving me a good dividend anyway. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll, we'll transition to uh, the, the current catalyst. So I wanted to talk about the uh, current catalyst in society right now, especially with uh, regards to investments. Um, I had a question that was asked of me uh, by one of my clients over the, the weekend, um, you know, kind of gauging, uh, you, oh, Max, you as well, right? Uh, kind of gauging where in our industries or, you know, like we kind of talked about Catalyst a little bit on our uh, first episode uh, or our, our first recording. Um, what do you think the Catalysts are, uh, Patrick? We'll start with you. Well, Everson, that's a really strong question, and but it's a tough one because, I mean, the var the market is so vast and there's so many forces at play right now that it's hard to pinpoint right. one. I mean, we all agree that the federal government through the Fed is extremely powerful right now. It has a huge impact on the market. But when you, we when we think about different sectors, I mean, for me, the tech stocks are still going to be a catalyst for a long time just because of the fact that, like, society is changing. We've talked about it on the show many times. Like, I think that the work at home economy is, and stay at home economy is going to stay for a long time. And what that does is at the same time, I mean, we've had this discussion privately a few times. A lot of investors are piling in on the uh, stocks right now, the tech stocks. So for me, it creates some sort of iceberg when where all the money is funneled into the same handful of stocks, which is starting to stretch it a little bit thin. So right. are we in a bubble? Not necessarily, but we're reaching a point where, to me personally, I find it a little dangerous. Uh, I feel like the growth is mostly behind us, not ahead of us. It's going to take a while for the, you know, the market to actually catch up to where the prices are right now, especially if people keep piling on to the same stocks. To me, that's one of the main catalysts that is driving the market right now and that I'm paying attention to. Right, and we, we kind of see that um, change, you know, you're right. And as that hitting highs as it is in, in the tech sector, uh, I, I do it's agree that- It's been much, much more resilient than the Dow Jones and like the levels aren't right. going down. And, as, and the S&P 500 as well. Uh, we we also see a lot of money funneling into the pharmaceuticals and the health sector for obvious reasons, right? So that's still a catalyst even moving forward on, on short term. Um, after the virus, uh, who's, who's to say, right? So uh, long term, uh, long term, I, I still think that with 5G technology and everything and the advancement of autonomy driving and all of that, I think this, the uh, tech sector still maintains its value yeah. Um, uh, for long term, but short term growth definitely, I feel like would be the uh, pharmaceutical and health sector. Um, I agree with and, you, Everson. And it's those industries are still going to grow. Just this week, Amazon did some big plays. They're already invested in some electric vehicle companies, but now they're adding 
they just added right. a new company that's focusing on autonomous driving. So those companies are still going to grow, obviously. But the thing is that there's such a concentration of money now flowing into these uh, specific companies. These continue to go up and everything else is dragged down a little bit. Uh, right. For example, AMD, even though everyone, uh, you and I, we both like AMD, it hasn't had yeah. any traction the past few months as people have funneled into other tech stocks. Right, definitely. I'm going to transition over to you now, Max. What do you what do you think about it? What, what do you think about this uh, the next catalyst moving forward? What so, industries are looking at? To, to me, the way the market is right now, it's, it's like the show Billions. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but it's uh, Bobby Axelrod against Chuck Rhodes. It's these huge titans, right? And, and the thing is, they're about the same strength. So things aren't moving a lot. And it's whoever can get the, the next ally. And so I don't want to get political, but uh, one of the catalysts will actually be during the, uh, the uh, election. Uh, another catalyst, I'm trying to figure out where it's going to come from. Um, but like right. you guys, I'm going to piggyback off you guys. You guys were talking about the tech market. But that sector, only the stocks that are benefiting from the process of, you know, the, the, the virus and the, re, uh, the cases, the growing cases, those are the ones that are going to do well. And so the other companies that aren't are, are actually affected negatively are going to go down and you're going to start seeing a lot of mergers. Uh, so that's how I'm seeing it right now. And that's how I'm analyzing the stocks. It's just those two forces right now. It looks, um, but let me define the two forces. I forgot to do that. So it's Bobby Axelrod and uh, Chuck Rhodes, but it's the massive inflation, the printing of money, the low interest rates, the uh, deregulations that's happening with the banks. Right. You know, that's a strong force that's going to push the market higher, but it's yeah. going right up against uh basically unemployment so yeah you could break it down right. into the virus but th the virus is just a a small part of it it's creating the unemployment and so as you have more unemployment you have less money moving around and so these two forces are about equal strength as of right now although i would give the edge to the unemployment um so that's why we we sort of broke below a support uh, on Friday, which was really imp interesting, and we're right above the next support that if we break, uh, we're going back down to the 270s. So hold on to your hats. I like that. Uh, you know, what you what you both have just said, um, two totally different perspectives that are approaching what the catalysts are uh, moving forward. And uh, it, as you said, also, Max, I, I don't like to get uh, political also, but it's, it's sort of good that we had um, such high regulatory uh, uh, policy with the Obama administration because it gave us some leeway now to be able to, uh, you know, cut back on that uh, regulatory uh, like we experienced with the Walker rule change. So um, it's actually a good thing, uh, in, in my opinion, because where you were profitable, um, profits go, go into areas, um, you know, major, uh, mainly the government. I think it was like 33% uh the companies were paying for uh, in taxes, and now uh, under the uh, Trump administration, they're they're paying like a 16% tax tax bracket. So it makes a huge difference for for companies. Uh, but that fluctuation and change is is a good balance, I, I, in my opinion. Um, Patrick, you talked a little bit about it, or you just you mentioned it about the bubble. Um, I wanted to explore that a little more before we get into the solvency 
Um, but is there anything moving forward in the future that you see uh, as far as a, a bubble is concerned? Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it. The P ratios are gigantic. And I mean, that's to me the correction. We're, we're trying to be a little bit more evergreen in this episode. But to me, yeah. the correction is actually needed to get some prices that are that make sense. Um, people have been so euphoric into the market because they fear of missing out. They didn't want to right. be left out as the market like skyrocketed. That it created some situations where companies were overvalued to degrees right. that didn't happen since 1999. Right. And to me, that was very concerning because it's, it, I mean, it's great as long as it goes up. But if, I mean, I see online, I like to respond to people's questions. I see people that have bought at the peak and just right. a few weeks later, now they're left wondering, well, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm down 30% in one month. What do I do now? And now they're yeah. stuck waiting for the next like however many years for the stocks to go back up. So yeah, for me, it's a, the bubble is a big concern. I, I think that the correction is really needed and hopefully after that, it's going to be more steady incline. Well, where do you see it? Where do you see the bubbles uh, sort of forming here um, in our economy? Or is there any particular sector or any particular industry that you see in class? That's, well, when we're talking uh, about tech stocks, I mean, okay. the tech stocks, yeah, that's the main one to me. I totally agree 100% with Max. It's normal in a sense because with the stay-at-home economy, um, these right. stocks are, you know, they are doing better. I mean, they right. are having more opportunities. So in that regards, it makes sense. But at the same time, a lot of stocks have... They're based on five-year projections that are perfect, like where nothing wrong happens, uh, massive increase in earnings. So what's the upside now based on where we are right now? Like everything is priced in already. So for me, they're not attractive buys. To me, that's what the bubble is. When it goes down a little bit, that's when we'll see a little bit of upside where there's going to be some buying opportunities. How about for you, uh, Max, real quick? Uh, what do you see as far as the uh, the, the bubble is concerned? Um, so I kind of talked about a little bit, uh, uh, create some traction, but I talked a little bit about the Fed stimulating the economy as being a potential bubble. But what's your take on it, Max? Uh, so the bubbles I'm looking at, and so I've, I've been talking about this bubble for quite a while now, and so it's the, the car industry bubble. Um, right. How are you going to produce vehicles when people aren't buying right now? So, yes, you know, people are still buying homes, uh, which actually really interesting. Uh, it's a great trend there. But in terms of vehicles, uh, how are you going to sell uh, used vehicles? How are you going to sell new vehicles? How are you going to produce vehicles when dealerships are having a hard time? Um, and in fact, not only that, but if you go to a dealership, they're not going to give you a great price which is really interesting, you know, because when you you have those contracts with the manufacturers that are saying, hey, you know, we're going to give you another 200 vehicles. Uh, are you guys ready to take it? And the dealership's like, well, we still have 250 left from the previous time, you know, so that's a bubble there. Um, and in terms of the exposure for uh, credit cards, in fact, um, now credit cards are not going to give you a uh, balance transfer. Why? It's because of that big catalyst that I talked about, the unemployment. Uh, and so that's going to create some deflationary forces. And it, it's just about, you know, we're trying to see the inflation forces are stronger than deflation. You know, what, what are we going to see there? 
So a good uh, bubble to probably, you know, get some shorts or some puts is going to be the auto industry. Yeah, we've seen it in the car rental, you know, with Hertz filing for bankruptcy, that there's a lot of instability there. And what happens when you call for bankruptcy and you have a bunch of cars still on, on the lot? A lot of these rental car companies, what they'll do oftentimes is they'll sell off um, older model cars um, outside. So, you know, you you got more more sales driving from car rental companies now on selling cars. So they essentially become a car dealership themselves. Um, you know, selling off their their older models, but you well, know, I think that's where they make their money. Yeah, they they make some of their money there. Um, you're right, uh, but doesn't this set up Tesla as a good buying opportunity in in the in, in the debate that uh, Tesla had a hard time now being able to provide enough cars to their uh, consumer. Now, are they in line now with their thesis? You know, they they don't have to worry about overproduction are they right at production levels now well, Iverson, you're our <laughs> tesla guy so you tell us i'm a buyer of tesla uh so you know i'm gonna i'm gonna buy no matter what direction it goes uh, unless anything <laughs> happens to elon musk then you know if something happens to elon then that that's a problem but as as far as uh, everything is goes as transparently as, as it does uh, i think we should be okay in, in that area but Good analysis. Uh, so I'm gonna di- I'm gonna disagree real quick. So Tesla is part of the auto industry, and even if it's the best of breed, you're not yeah. having an influx of cash in that sector. It's actually being siphoned out, going somewhere else. Uh, another place would be utilities, some base metals, uh, and then your staples. That's where it's funneling out to. So I just feel like even though Tesla is best of breed, I'll give you that. You know, it's hard for me to admit it, but I'll give you that best of breed right now. It's got a great brand. It's just money's funneling away from it. Right. I was just looking at the uh, the idea about supply and demand. They're they're right at supply and demand levels now as compared to before, where you know the demand was so high that to be able to create that kind of production, that's what that that was the biggest challenge. Uh, which is the reason why we went into China in the first place was because we couldn't produce enough cars in, uh, uh, to be able to you know give consumers that supply so now that we've sort of balanced everything out and uh you know the problem is on china now as far as manufacturing so tesla doesn't really take take all too much of a hit i think uh if it cut if it comes to overproduction um that's china's problem right now if it comes to overproduction because they're the one with the hundred billion dollars into uh into tesla but that's a big topic i want to transition out of this topic and go into solvency um, and with solvency, um, uh, just real quick, uh, let's talk about solvency with uh, versus liquidity. Um, and and what, what's your take, uh, transitioning back to Patrick again, what, what's your take on, on that? I mean, companies in the short term or, or even on the long term, are, are we at good levels with this? Are we good good levels? Of I mean, there's never been more liquidity in the market. So that's okay. kind of, it's kind of interesting because on one hand, you have companies that are really pressured. Their earnings are down, so it should make it more difficult to raise money. But on the other end, the interest rates are super low and you have the Fed pumping money into the economy, buying bonds, which creates, yeah. you know, make it more easy Massive. to 
yeah, massive opportunity to raise money. So it, it kind of balances out. So I'm not too worried. I'm kind of shocked and surprised that Hertz is one of the only companies that didn't get bailed out, to be honest. Um, yeah. It's kind of hard to understand because every other company, it's like the Fed is, uh, there's a backstop making it so almost no company has gone bankrupt. Like, can you name a few that have been bankrupt in the past few months, even with this massive crash? There's very, very few, surprisingly. So yeah. I'm not that concerned about solvency for most companies, unless it keeps dragging out and then everything in the travel industry is really vulnerable and in the inter entertainment industry, as we've talked about many times. So those are the most like vulnerable ones. But in general, most companies aren't too uh, danger in danger. How about for you, Max? What do you think? So when we, we talk about solvency, uh, that's basically fundamental analysis. You know, you're trying to identify, is this company here for the long term? But the problem I have with that is the way I'm, I'm seeing the world right now, the market, is that if you're, you're making transaction, if you're investing based on fundamentals, you're too early. If you're investing right. on news, you're too late. And so if you're investing on technical analysis, which would be the charts, then you're right on time. So let's go back to solvency. And it's sort of what Patrick was talking about. Um, that doesn't mean anything. First off, it's fundamentals, which means, you know, you're sort of projecting far in the future. But the other thing is, like Patrick was saying, the government's printing money. Uh, so it doesn't matter what's happening. If you're going below, if you're spending too much cash, whatever it is, hey, the government's going to you're back and they're just going to print a few bucks for you. Um, so right. solvency right now is not a big deal. Um, but you're going to see some big solvency problems, like I mentioned a little bit ago, in the auto industry and uh, especially in financials as well. Right. I, I like just that. Like, I just like to add on something to that. I agree with you for the most part, except for me right now, and I think everyone should do that. The first question you have to ask yourself when you're looking at a stock is, what are the odds that they'll go bankrupt in the next year? because they don't have enough cash and they can't raise cash. So you won't necessarily see that in the chart. Like you have to look at the company and what their opportunities to raise money is and right. their cat, uh, their, the, the rate that they're burning cash, especially right now in the crisis when they can't get as much revenue as they normally do. Yeah. 24. Right. They'll just raise some cash overnight. It's not even a big deal today. Well, what about 24 hour fitness? I mean, it's, it's not like they could really necessarily raise cash and, you know, their prime opportunity for the uh, Rony Rona virus to be able to spread in an environment like that, right? So uh, uh, they're still charging the same price for gym membership, but you got to call in to be able to, you know, they need to know how many people are coming in. You only have an hour to work out. You can't use the showers. You can't use the pools. Uh, I don't even know if you can use locker rooms. Like, you know, they, they're taking away some equipment. Um, as you may or may not already know, uh, 24 Fitness has filed for bankruptcy and they're closing 100 stores and in their locations. So it's like, you know, that that industry is going to shrink big time. Uh, and as, as we saw with uh, Nautilus Brands, yeah, Nautilus Brands, I think it was, uh, that's Bowflex. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was, you can't even, you go on eBay and people are selling their Bowflex equipment for 200 300 percent the value so yeah i was looking on the website and everything was sold out for a while because they just couldn't meet the demand everyone's building <laughs> old gyms 
yeah, so we could just give you a couple of stocks right there to go ahead and invest in. So uh, I wanted to close real quick with talking about a question that Max brought up, which was, what is better, earnings per share or price to earnings? And Max, because you came up with that, uh, well, actually, yeah, why, why don't you just lead that since you came up with it? Yeah, sure. Put all the pressure on me. Um, so uh, price to earnings, P.E. ratio. Um, I mean, you can just flip the channel on to CNBC and you'll see that's they mention that very often. Uh, a great way to measure a company is your P.E. ratio. Is it high? Is it low compared to its competitors? Um, well, what about earnings per share? Have you ever heard that term before? You know, that ratio uh, to me, P.E. ratio is to show me is this a good price to buy this stock? You know, if you don't know how to analyze stocks, if you're not paying attention to the news, you're not comfortable with this stock, then all you have to do is look at the P ratio and look at the competitors and instantly you know, hey, you know what? This is a pretty good price for, you know, this industry. But earnings per share, if you're looking at the past three quarters, you can actually see a trend. Are the earnings going up, going down, sideways? And so you can tell, hey, is, is this, this company growing, shrinking? Because if I'm investing in a stock, I, you know, long term, which I, I don't usually do. I haven't invested in a stock since like 2015 or whatever. Uh, I do more <laughs> calls and options, that kind of stuff. But um, so what you're looking for is a company that's growing. And so earnings per share to me is a lot more important than NP ratio because P ratio, I could just figure that stuff out looking at the charts. Right. But to get a good temperature of the growth, the potential future of this company, earnings per share for me is a lot more important, and nobody talks about it. Nice. Uh, Patrick, you got anything to add to that? Well, I disagree a little bit, as usual, just because of the fact that people talk about earnings all the time, and if they beat analysts' expectations or not. But other than that, I agree with Max. All right. Uh, so... As far as as far as my perspective on it, uh, I it, it's interesting perspective. You know, uh, I I neither disagree nor nor agree. I probably agree more than than disagree, uh, but I haven't really looked at it at that perspective of earnings per share. Uh, like Max has said, it's always a topic of conversation to talk about a PE ratio. So. Everyone's talking about the PE ratio. They're not. They're not really talking about their earnings per share. But um, if there's anything that I know of Max, he always puts it to perspective where you start to think a little differently. I think it was last week, or but not last last week, but this week, uh, you had said regarding uh, the approach of your thesis and looking at in investments, uh, you sort of do a reverse analysis of why oh, yeah. why it should go up or what or. If you're, you know, betting on the stock going down, why should it go up? If you're betting on a stock going up, why should it go down? So, yeah. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, do we have time for that? I mean, that's yeah. That's quite a it'll subject. be a last topic. It'll be a last topic. Okay. Uh, so, so I, I like to reverse engineer things. First, I think I, I've already said this before that uh, I, I try to look at the three directions for any position I go in, whether it's calls, puts, stocks, you name it. Um, I want to make sure, hey, what, what's going to happen to my position when it goes up, when it goes down, and when it goes sideways? And to be honest, a long time ago when I first started out, and I guarantee you about 90% of all traders, all they care about is, hey, I'm going to get into this position, and it's going to go up, 
and I'm going to make money. Okay, but what happens if it goes sideways? What happens if it goes down? Yeah. People don't like to think about that. And sure, you can call it negative, but you also have to analyze your risk and what's happening. And now the other thing is when I create a, a machine, when I create my rules for how I'm going to trade, I want to backtest it. Why? Because I don't want to prove why it's right. I want to prove why it's wrong. Why is this system, the way I'm going to trade for the next, who knows, three, four, five weeks, why does it not work? So I backtest, you know, as thoroughly as I can. And, and that's what science is. Science is not there to prove something is right. It's there um, to prove something is wrong. So you have a thesis and you spend a lot of money, a lot of time trying to prove that thesis is wrong. So if I say, hey, anytime I see a bearish engulfing pattern, I'm going to trade that. I want to make sure, hey, I'm going to go backtest and make sure, hey, that that's actually not going to work. And when you thoroughly backtest it and you're like, oh, crap, I couldn't disprove this theory. That's a that's a pretty good trade to do. Real quick, I see a lot of smiles over there in my corner. Patrick, you want to add something real quick before you close? Max, everyone knows stocks only go up. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, I had fun with this podcast episode. Uh, we're at a close here. Thank you for tuning in to our, our midweek podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please go ahead and subscribe and like. Uh, leave a comment below. Um, follow us on Instagram. Uh, all of our information would be on previous episodes, and I think maybe even we'll, we'll be listening it on, on, this, uh, uh, on this post also. But I had fun. Take care, you guys. Have a great rest of the week, and stay on the green side.